Hello, humans. Welcome to the Planetechium podcast. It's a podcast about how people, stuff, and money move. There's nothing I like more than learning about how the world works, and I feel lucky that I get to do it with all of you. Enjoy the pod. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast, Keegan and Maruga. How are you both? Thank you for joining me in the remote studio. We're doing great. I'm doing Maruga, great. Is this yeah, true? Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. We really are. I, I, with respect to what's happening in the crypto market, that's sort of with that or just in general? Yeah, we're going to get into that. I'm, I'm a little bit depressed, I got to admit. Um <laughs> But like I said before we started recording, maybe it's just a moment that we have to get through and that every frontier market goes through this um, as we whittle out the fraud and the, and the projects that were never meant to advance us in any way. Um, like depressed because of the quality of, of coins or depressed because of price action, depressed because of your portfolio, depressed, uh, elaborate, Okay, Expand. so So are you... Can I assume the three of us have at least read um, some Alex Gladstein? Of course. Check your financial privilege. Would you consider yourself fans? Absolutely. Yeah. Check your financial privilege is a good good segue for people who want to go on to Goodreads and and check out Alex's book. But one of the most transformative articles, and I'm actually going to pull it up while I speak here, is I think he called it what the cypherpunks wanted Mm. or want. Is that in the book? Because I don't think I've reached there yet. So and the it book was is a collection of his essays, right? Yeah, this is actually this is actually a Bitcoin magazine, the Quest for Digital Cash. Gotcha. Um, I read this in a cafe in Halifax on the east coast of Canada. That's where we are. That's where you are. You're in Halifax. Yeah. Sweet. Okay, I didn't actually know that. And I literally like got goosebumps. And I know that it's really optimistic and there was this group of people, Satoshi being one of them, that had these goals for independent money and independent people. And as you two know, it really inspired me. Um, my, my concern is with everything going on with FTX and the crypto markets generally, which I know you have a pretty serious goal of separating that from the Bitcoin market, it seems so far from the quest for digital cash. That's what makes me depressed is like the quest for digital cash is one thing and the Bitcoin markets are one thing. And then with everything going on behind the scenes with what we allegedly have seen happened at FTX, I think we have to say allegedly because he hasn't been prosecuted for one reason or another. Um, It's so far from that. It's so far from that goal. I don't know how you square it, but maybe we need to put a pin in it and come back to it in a minute after we talk about your own personal paths. But maybe you can respond and just how do you feel about it? Yeah, the uh, well, what Bitcoin like wanted to become uh, like crypto became the thing that Bitcoin wanted to destroy in some ways. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go back to the Genesis block of Bitcoin and, and go uh, like, what what does it say? Um, Chancellor on on brink of second bailout for banks. 
right? That's that's stamped on the Genesis block of Bitcoin, um, and kind of uh, like it kind of plants inside of it uh, the ethos in a way or its mission statement in some ways, right? Uh, and then, like, what is that? Like, what was the two thousand eight? financial crashes like an over financialization of uh of useful assets right like real estate right but it's uh derivatives it's gambling um and then it was a big bailout and mm-hmm. yeah so what just happened with ftx in a lot of ways is uh it was an over financialization um it was it's like it's a cesspool of gambling and, and trading and so it became the very thing that um that Bitcoin set up to destroy. And I think a lot of like crypto folk uh, align with that ethos as well. Um, but then somewhere along the way have, have just lost, uh, lost their way. Uh, now, if we want to like take seriously the notion that um, crypto and Bitcoin are going to replace the traditional financial system, then we actually have to earn it, right? We actually have to build the system in such a way that it can actually handle trillions of dollars and the people mm-hmm. that are in control of um of the movement of the security of the custodian of these funds are they can be trusted or they can be um at least uh like there's some regulations or controls in place or optics in place transparency in place to allow us to use these centralized platforms because we need them right they're on ramps and off ramps um we need them to be there but we also need them to to uh, to not be corrupt we need them to not be the very thing that we wanted to to, to set out and destroy in the first place yeah maruga how do you feel generally speaking um, well, you had the blog up, and what was the title? We're far from digital cash, or the death. The of quest cash? for digital. The cash. quest for digital cash. Yeah. yeah, and if I understood correctly, were you thinking that um, it seems so far away or out of reach? It's just kind of what Keegan said. Like when I read the quest for digital cash, and you onboard into Bitcoin, you feel like a a pretty special something. Like I read, I wrote a post on um, unseeableness, this idea of unseeableness in technology. So the first time that I used Uber, it was so seamless that I it was kind of a holy shit moment in software. Like, wow, this thing works literally perfectly. Same with Airbnb, for that matter. Air, Airbnb was like that too. That's what Bitcoin was like for me. My, the first time of, of getting onto an exchange, buying Bitcoin, and then moving that Bitcoin into my own custody was one of my top three all-time tech moments. And like I felt, this sounds, maybe I'm just like um, a big softy, but it felt revolutionary. And I still think it is revolutionary, but um, the corruption of an organization or alleged corruption of an organization like FTX, that being lumped into a Gladstein post about the quest for digital cash, which I think is what's happening publicly and quite frankly, maybe what the mainstream media wants if we're being a little thoughtful about that, um, it just feels really far from that mission. It just feels like what Keegan said. It's basically, it's basically 2008 all over again because it's just the over financialization, the complexifying of things that are meant to be simple, like custodying your own wealth. So it just made me feel like um, it set us back quite a bit. And I think it sets back Bitcoin. Let's be clear. I, I honestly think it does. We got to be we got to be honest about that, because what we're trying to do now, and I know I'm being long winded, but is trying to onboard the next 100 million people. 
but the next 100 million people were past the early adopter phase. So it's normal people, people like our parents, our cousins, our friends who aren't necessarily as digitally native as we are. Um, good luck with that right now. If someone's <laughs> watching mainstream media or you know what I mean? I actually so I, like Matt before before you continue there. I, I don't think the next hundred million people there uh, to, to come into Bitcoin are going to be anywhere close to a geographic region. Like, I don't think that they're in North America at all. I, and um, I think the corruption that took place with FTX, that's commonplace most mm-hmm. most other places in the world you know what i mean and that's actually just like that's a tuesday um as far as like some countries and some central banks go that's um, a good point right um so i think that like the next billion people like you know screw 100 million <laughs> the next billion people uh that are coming are they're they're from the third world they're from countries uh where the currency has been total shit for 40 years and and the, there is a a very significant and growing tech literacy even beyond our exactly. markets. Exactly. So like I'm actually in some ways I'm not worried about the next billion people because like, they're they're already on their way. Um, like the seeds have already been planted. We just have to like kind of water it and uh, watch it grow. Uh, but it, at the same time, um, <laughs> I would love to see. I would love to see that uh, the people in our geographic region, North America, um, European, like developed nations adopt it. But like we all look at it as it <laughs> like an investment and it's a really silly way to look at it. Um, the thing that you said about uh, like your aha moment, um, mm-hmm. self-custodying your Bitcoin and how it was uh, a revolutionary experience. And it's like that's only a revolutionary experience because you've uh, well, you're you're well read and you're familiar with um the problems that bitcoin is solving you get the point right yeah but if to someone like the point is that i I like i want to 2x my money it's like (laughs) that's not going to be a revolutionary moment you know what i mean because there's lots of things that can 2x your money uh but there's only one thing that that is that is bitcoin that offers you the the plethora of um freedom enhancing tools that bitcoin does so after we hear from Maruga about how she's feeling, yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll, um, cause this is important to me. Um, then we'll go into, we'll just tee up what allegedly happened at FTX. There's a lot of great podcasts already on that. So there's no point in doing another one. And then we'll just get into the separation or the attempted separation between the crypto markets and Bitcoin, which I think is a, a noble pursuit. So let's hear from Maruga. Maruga, you can just riff too. Like this is why we're here. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I was uh, trying to imagine what both of your perspectives are. Um, and I, I really like what you said, Keegan, about uh, perhaps the, the countries in Africa being the next billion people to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, when it comes to North America and people thinking of it as an investment, like I was just thinking about how we went to the farmer's market this morning and I paid with cash for some of the goods that I got from um the farmers and i paid with cards for some of them and being a business owner i know that when you pay via a credit card it's at least what 1.9 percent to what five percent that the third party takes from the money that you are supposed to receive and uh for people to adopt something like digital cash you know if you place me paying with actual cash to one of the farmers and me paying with card to another farmer and then me paying with card to the other farmer not getting the full breadth of what I paid them like if and the other thing that I want to bring to attention here is that they use square 
to accept cash. And mm-hmm. probably not even five or maybe 10 years ago, they would have used something like that. It would have to be those big machines. So if we want to show people that need to transact in uh, just need to transact um, and have some of their money taken away by third parties, that there is this other infrastructure available where you get to keep all of your money and this is what you can use to do it. I don't see how they um, how they wouldn't see the benefit in that or find it just as revolutionary as you did, Matt. But I think the problem that we're going to face is the reason why you know, people look at it as an investment is because they still need to spend in Canadian dollar to buy their groceries. Uh-huh. The reason why you had the time to read up on Alex Glanstein or, you know, the problems that the third world is facing is because your base needs were taken care of, I'm assuming. But uh, like, I would say it's an assumption that you don't have to worry about where you're going to pay for your groceries next week. But for a lot of the people, I think, that live on paycheck to paycheck um, and where Bitcoin would actually benefit them, uh, especially if they're small business owners, mm-hmm. is they they just don't have, I think that they're robbed of the time that they need to completely understand how this will rev- revolutionize their lives. Um, and I think it's also the dichotomy of living in a, quote unquote, first world country, where if we consider Canada that we we have a huge separation between the people that have the time and can understand this and the people that would this would benefit the most, but don't have the time to understand this. Yeah. Have you have you read Balaji's idea of descending and ascending nations? No, uh, I no, haven't. It sounds like Ray Dalio's uh, changing world order kind of idea yeah. or a riff on that in some ways. Kind of similar in the sense that like um, he suggests moving from like these these, these ideas of, of first and third world nations and or <laughs> developed and undeveloped nations primarily because there are so few truly undeveloped nations left. True. Most have markets. Most have an economy. Most are producing something. Most have a central um, metropolis. Yeah, exactly. Um like think about Nigeria. I pulled up Ray Youssef on the screen, um, who thinks Nigeria is the next hub of of Bitcoin development, and helps moves up move us forward in that regard. And Nigeria by twenty fifty is going to have the third largest population on Earth. Um, and so the his like, idea working of, population as well, right? Like it isn't something like fifty percent of the population is below the age of thirty. The average age is like seventeen. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So Balaji's idea of ascending and descending nations is kind of similar in this respect. And so the ascending nations have are tech literate. Um, A lot of them are English speaking for whatever that's worth or have big populations that are English speaking like India Um, and come to understand this kind of technology naturally. Like when I talk talk with my Um, internationally based friends, even about the idea of taking sole custody using the internet of a percentage of your wealth, it's like immediate recognition of the value and potential. Whereas to Maruga's point, um, traditionally more developed nations, if your bank has never been closed for an unacceptable reason, if you've never had money stolen from you from authority that you're supposed to trust, you don't come to it as naturally. So totally point taken there the next the next young people that move bitcoin forward are certainly going to be in ascending nations 
Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, let's talk about what allegedly happened at FTX. I'll take a crack at it very simply. I don't think this is complicated, um, which makes the fact that there hasn't been due course or due process all the more frustrating, I think. Um, Nick Carter is somebody in the Bitcoin community who's thinking a lot about this and is pretty disappointed by the fact that there hasn't been any implications for SBF and his compatriots. But as I understand it, it's pretty simple. Um, there's FTX and then there's Alameda. Alameda is the trading arm of FTX. FTX um, took about $9.4 billion in deposited customer funds and used those funds to trade via Alameda. Those trades were bad. Those That money's gone. Yeah, that, that's in a nutshell what took place, as far as I is can that, tell. Is that accurate, allegedly? Yeah, I think so. Um, so this I'm, is like dyed-in-the-wool fraud. What's the problem here? I think they leveraged against that money as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. So like they, um, FTX has FTT token, right? And it was trading, um, like, like at hundreds, hundreds of dollars, wasn't it? Like, wasn't it all time high, like $140 or something like that? Something like uh, that. Yeah. So, uh, like they would get Alameda to, to trade up the token so that they could take on more collateral and then they would like, that's how they're running their country, uh, company. Uh, right. Like that's how they're paying their employees. That's how Sam Bankman was donating to the Democrat party and donating to Ukraine and all that stuff. I was wrong. Okay. $73 is all time high for peaked at $73 in September 21. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw a podcast in the chat there. Um, it's uh, by Breedlove and there's a gentleman uh, called uh, Chris Sullivan and he breaks it down. Uh, and I'm sure we could find other podcasts where other people break it down quite nicely. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, yeah, like you said, he goes into detail. We don't need to go <laughs> too heavily into detail. Um, but this is Quadriga as well, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the founder thinking that the money that everyone deposited into their platform is theirs, um, took it, traded it elsewhere traded it badly, um, then didn't have the money to pay everyone back when when uh, when it's all said and done. Um, Is the overall message here um, centralized exchanges, the marketplaces that a bunch of people have created to allow us to get in and out um, of this infrastructure? We need them because you describe them as ramps. But as soon as you make a transaction of, of some kind, make sure you put those funds into your own custody, whether in software or hardware that you trust. Is that the general message here? Because this is just dyed in the wool fraud. This was customer funds <laughs> that were supposed to be backed one-to-one and they were using to make risky bets and those bets were unfounded and so the money's gone. Yeah, I, I so I'm, I was looking into this as well and in some, some ways the money was never there. Um, so I, I was reading hmm. that they were selling like just air air bitcoin so like they were completely falsifying some markets uh because they were supposed to have something like ninety thousand bitcoin in um uh, on the exchange but like when the exchange itself got liquidated like we didn't see a catastrophic ninety thousand market order on bitcoin like that would have driven right. bitcoin below 14k kind of thing like that that's the kind of sell order that would really wreck bitcoin for for, and for those just more- getting into the market we could have seen that on chain yeah, you could have saw that on chain exactly. So, 
um, there's really good evidence that they never actually had uh, near like they definitely had Bitcoin, right? They were facilitating um, deposits and withdrawals just fine, um, but they were operating um, like like a regular bank in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That is to say, in a fractionally reserved kind of way. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the Federal Reserve as a backstop to paper over the uh, the mistake when the mistake happened. Right? The difference between totally... FTX and 2008 is like the Federal Reserve could bail out the banks. Right, right. Where there's no infrastructure like that to make customers whole in this market. Right. So in some ways, like I would actually like to see the world work this way. Um, like if a bank goes bust because they made mistakes, they actually have to suffer the consequences of their actions. Um, now, that being said, like SBF, Sam Bankman, hasn't gone to jail. So he, in a lot of ways, he's not suffering the consequences of his actions. And before the podcast, you were you were saying that Bernie Madoff was in jail within 24 hours. That's right. Uh, right? It's like, well, that's, that's a very weird thing that's happening right now. And like to weird add insult to injury... Word. Weird, weird is, is the, the word. word. Yeah, it's very strange. The New York Times come out with a puff piece within 48 hours. Like, and uh, I let, like Twitter's just an amazing space. Uh, like, you can get so much inf- information from Twitter. There's like zero mentions of fraud, zero mentions of criminal activity, zero mentions of like Wall Street why Journal was, as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, why was Sam Bankman not pilloried and uh, and put in jail immediately? <laughs> if this is. Um we don't need to go down conspiracy theory route, but the weird, the word is weird. This is very strange and watching it unfold. It just gets weirder and weirder um, with the investments that were made on the Alameda side and some of the actions that were allegedly happening over there down in the Bahamas. But um, the, I heard this, this um, theory proposed about the media's response, especially traditional financial journalism and their response to this whole thing. Um, what if they, and this is not my idea, but it seems like it could be hovering around the right answer. What if this is almost exactly as you inadvertently describe Keegan, basically TradFi journalism saying, you wanted DeFi, you got it. Here it is, 10 billion gone. And they're parading this as almost a, um, you wanted no regulation, you wanted self-custody of your funds. You didn't need us. You said you didn't need us. You can get out of USD and just go into your your favorite coin that's magic internet money and now it's gone and there's no regulatory body to help you get it back. What if TradFi is just kind of milking it? But they didn't market as fraud, right? In the WSJ or the MIT, they didn't really um, no, they didn't. mark. Yeah, they and um, yeah. Good so, point. So they didn't actually, yeah, they didn't actually say, look, this was fraudulent and here you got what you ordered. That's right, Maruga. They just have been ignoring that piece in a very odd way. The other which makes it yeah, go which ahead. makes it weirder. Sorry. Well, also because of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's mom and dad, like his parents are very close to the Democratic Party. Is what I have read. Was it his dad who's part of uh, like running? I, I I will butcher this because I don't remember. But I just know that they're very closely connected to the Democratic Party. And if the Democratic Party again allegedly owns. Um, media owns the media in the states then of course they're not going to pillory their son it's so complicated and unfortunately so because the the what went down seems very not complicated it seems pretty easy to understand it's the response to it that has been complicated which is which is all the more confusing but 
So, okay, let's get off of the act, what allegedly happened because that's been bandied about and we'll put some, we'll put some podcast links in the show notes where you can find people that have hashed it out in depth. Does this set back Bitcoin or does it not? Because my gut instinct says yes, but I trust you both as very thoughtful humans. I don't think it does. Are you too optimistic? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> why Why wouldn't it? Um, why wouldn't it? Um, because the the people that are affected by FTX, it, it obviously affects them, right? Mm-hmm. It Like a lot of people lost their bags. Um, I don't think it, because like Bitcoin protects against the very corruption that, uh, that was rife within FTX. Um, if you like actually buy into the ethos or the underlying uh, principles of Bitcoin, like not your keys, not your crypto, mm-hmm. uh, all that good stuff. Um, so if mm-hmm. you're looking at on-chain metrics as well, then like you'll notice that uh, like people have been withdrawing their Bitcoin off of exchanges and uh, the amount of Bitcoin off of the exchanges is like constantly rising and it's at an all-time high now. Uh, the Where's Bitcoin- the best place for us to see on-chain data? Oh goodness, Matt! Um, like Glassnode, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, seriously. What about Glassnode? Uh, like, what can we see from the free Glassnode? I'm not. Uh, you actually might be able to see uh, uh, Bitcoin off chain, uh, or like not uh, off exchanges, like the Bitcoin migrating off exchanges. But Dylan Leclaire um, on on Twitter is like the number one place that I would go. Um, Here, Glassnode has. Um seems like they have a pretty reasonable weekly newsletter. This might actually be cool for people to subscribe to. But let's toggle over to Twitter and see Dylan's. Are you partial to our friend uh, Dylan or Young Will? I like them both, but uh, Dylan's stayed true to uh, to Bitcoin and Will's venturing out into, into crypto land. And I don't I don't hold that against Will. Like, go for it. Absolutely. But uh, Dylan is like very, very focused um, on... Um, on Bitcoin and, and providing actionable intelligence there. And he's also like getting into macroeconomics as well. And to like talking about how um, like the prices of energy and uh, these things are affecting financial markets. So I, I just have a lot of respect for Dylan. But there so you go. on your screen for people who are watching, um, for people who are just listening, Keegan, why don't you read out Dylan's tweet and tell us what you and in, you in, interpret that. Yeah, so basically 180,000 Bitcoin uh, have been withdrawn from exchanges on a net basis over the last 30 days, another all-time high. So the chart that is on the screen um, shows uh, inflows and outflows. Inflows are green. um, That's usually followed by a price dip. So people sending their Bitcoin to exchanges means that they're going to sell them, you know, actually using the, the exchange for what it's intended purposes and then uh, the red uh, on the screen is outflows so people withdrawing their bitcoin from exchanges and what that means is uh, that bitcoin is becoming more illiquid from a uh, uh, from an exchange basis there's less bitcoin on exchanges to be traded therefore uh, like you can expect more volatility when there's less bitcoin on exchanges that's in a nutshell what, what this chart says and to your point now that you say that this chart goes back to um, looks like probably Q2 18 or Q3 18. Yeah. And we've never seen exchange outflows like this before. So to your point, if I'm steel manning myself, that shows us that the whole FTX episode taught everyone a 
much needed lesson about keeping coins on centralized exchange. Yeah. Get your coins off the exchange is the lesson. <laughs> and they did it. And they did it. Yeah, absolutely. So like all the other okay. exchanges in the world saw these uh, these massive outflows and um, it keeps exchanges honest as well. Right. Like all other exchanges are going to be held to a much higher level or a level of scrutiny, both from a regulatory perspective um, and both from a user perspective. The users can hold the uh, exchanges accountable for their actions by withdrawing their coins. Right. Like the, the function of exchanges is to trade on them. If you're not a trader, take your coins off the exchange. You know what right. I mean? Like put in the work and learn how to self-custody your own coins because uh, if you're not trading them, you don't need to be using the exchange. Um, like yeah. do you really want to risk 100% of loss on your assets if uh, for like a 2.5% return because the exchange is offering you a little like to, you know, uh, you can loan them your Bitcoin for 2.5%. Like no, you don't you don't want to yeah. lose 100% of your Bitcoin for 2.5% per year. Like that's uh, not a good idea. <laughs> I tinkered for like half a minute and it was largely from from me asking you both questions about technical elements that, that go into this market, like derivatives and all of those things get that get built on top of financial markets over time, which is probably a net good, but I tinkered with it for all of five minutes before I thought to myself, okay, and, and you know me, like you both know <laughs> me, I have incredibly itchy feet and I love to tinker and I love to learn, but I had to steal myself and, and almost like write down on a notepad, Bitcoin, is meant to be in my custody and I meant to acquire little bits consistently forever and ever. Don't get into any of this. And so luckily I, I lost a, a total of zero dollars in any denomination through the FTX events because I, I played for about five minutes and then I had to remind myself, please stop doing this because you're the kind of person that will play to infinity. Just keep acquiring Bitcoin. Yeah. That yeah. was largely the education from the both of you. Although I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, you are deeper into some of the intricacies than most. You have played. I have played and I have lost. Um, <laughs> and I have won, but my wins definitely uh, do not outweigh my losses. And therefore, I've adopted a similar um, acc accumulation and no trading kind of strategy. Yeah. Um, the two of you, double clicking on your journey for a minute, the two of you have built um, both informal training channels, like talking to people like me who are super curious tech people, but you've also built formal training channels in the past. You've dabbled in some YouTube education. You've done a ton of live education all over the world, actually. Are you still doing that? I remember following your journey all the way to, I believe, to India, doing Bitcoin meetups, just getting people onboarded into the, into the software. I find that super cool. So maybe just give us an update of, of what your path was like and where you find yourselves now. I don't even think I know what you're, you're professionally and personally up to now, although I can assume it's advancing Bitcoin. Well, Keegan is quite literally doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And I let him speak to it. But we are now part of the, Halifax, the Bitcoin Halifax meetup group. Cool. And we've been hosting Halifax a meetup, sorry, Bitcoin meetups in Halifax every first Thursday of the month. So the next one's taking place on the 1st of December, I believe, which is a Thursday. Are there any social um, groups, Maruga, online that people can query or is this just a... Bitcoin Halifax. Group? Yeah, you just go to Twitter and look for Bitcoin Halifax. I think it's Bitcoin HFX, if I remember correctly. You can probably bring it up there, Matt. That's a we have a Discord um, as well. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, keep going while I query this for you. Yeah. Uh, and Keegan, do you want to talk about how you're helping Bitcoin? 
Well, like, why don't you tell, uh, like, uh, us a little bit about the the trip, Maruga, that we went on. Uh, like, we went to El Salvador, uh, oh, the yeah. UK, and then uh, India, and we're in meetups uh, everywhere there. So, like, why don't you elaborate on that, and then I'll talk about what I'm doing. Sure. Uh, I actually want to start with the motivation that we have behind uh, doing any of it, because um, <laughs> a lot of the times I find myself sounding like um, a part of a a pyramid schemer being like, yeah, you should come on in. You should really join. Um, and I've, 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 I've like avoided to use my words in, in such a way that it sounds like I want to onboard people into this currency because uh, people can be very quick to be skeptical of it. Um, I've experienced. So my motivation, and I can, I think, speak a little bit for Keegan too, is that um, a lot of us face this problem. One, the first of the biggest problem is uh, inflation and how the money that we have in our bank accounts, if it's stored in cash and not in investments, it's being stripped of purchasing power every single year. It's more than ever in the past two years. And that's going to continue to happen if we're in the fiat system. I learned about this when I started learning about Bitcoin because I didn't even know that 2% year-over-year inflation is quote-unquote normal. And that is um, and, and like it, that causes a lot of problems, generational problems that we're seeing right now. A really quick example is that we are priced out, priced out of buying a house uh, and we're in our late 20s and we can't afford anything. So it's causing a, a, you know, a lot of dependency between generations. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, the, and the second motivation is that I feel like I was lied to when I created a bank account simply because I signed my rights away and to give some credit to, I guess, all of those tiny terms and conditions, boxes or signatures that people take, like that is me signing away my rights to the money that I own or I think I own away to a bank so they can do whatever they want with it. And I might sound a little bit bitter about this simply because um, on on the fluff side, it all looks fine and dandy. And for most people, it is fine and dandy, except for those very rare situations when you want to use more of your money or when you want to um, like withdraw more of your money and you're just denied that ability mm-hmm. in, I'll say again, quote unquote, a first world country. So the fact that uh, I had to learn this through experience motivates me to make other people aware about it before they have to experience it themselves. Um, so last year we started, um, we, we kind of just went on a, a trip uh, to visit other countries, started with going to El Salvador because we wanted to see firsthand what it's like for a whole country to adopt Bitcoin. Saw the problems, saw the challenges, saw that everything that the news was reporting was not true, which, and, you know, to give credit to the country, it just been two months that they had declared Bitcoin to be legal tender. And there was a lot of education still needed and onboarding still needed in order for the, the entire country to adopt it. But uh, we also met a lot of very smart and intelligent people building solutions to problems that people have. Um, and learned about infrastructure that is present in order for people to uh, very seamlessly transact in Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. Um, and after that experience, when we went to India, 
um, the Bitcoin for India conference, we kind of got involved with the organization team and thought, okay, we need to start uh, generating awareness and bring together all of these Bitcoiners that are sitting in their houses listening to podcasts, but have really lacked um, and, and really wanted to connect with other Bitcoiners and talk about what their experiences and problems are. So we started um, helping it with that, kind of initiated the first couple of meetups because we, Keegan and I, had experience hosting meetups. So we did that in Mumbai, in Pune, in uh, Bangalore, uh, in Goa, you know, because we were in India for four months. Started that up, came back to Canada earlier in the summer, um, and things were a little bit quiet because Keegan and I went on our own little trip of driving across the continent and back. But then once we were back, we were really missing um, getting people together, again, making them aware of the experiences that we had had and uh, connecting other Bitcoiners that are sitting in their houses listening to Alex Lansdien or Lynn Alden, which actually happened. We went to the DMZ or DMV, whatever it's called in Nova Scotia. uh, And Keegan overheard someone listening to Lynn Alden (laughs) and went over and was like, are you listening? Is that Lynn Alden? And the guy was like, (laughs) yeah. Um, and Keegan said, I can, you know, recognize Lynn Alden anywhere. So yeah, I think she yeah. was on what Bitcoin did, Peter McCormack's podcast. And like, yeah. you know, people like this exist in all parts of the world. And uh, by just hosting have to go meetups, find them. yeah, by hosting meetups, we want to bring them together so that uh, we've, so that we can work on spreading the message of Bitcoin together. And wow, that sounds like Bitcoin is a religion, but really in in the basis of sense, making more people aware of what they don't have to go through in order to, in order to solve the problems that they do have. Yep. I love it. I, That's amazing. Especially that you've done a, a global tour, but home base is the East Coast. Obviously, the three of us are, are, will always be partial in some ways to the East Coast, but it's so much bigger than all of us that taking it global and taking it on the road is the way to do it. So it's really cool. I kind of, most of the time spend myself kind of spend my time moving through the internet, doing similar things. But when you get the chance, it's just amazing to hit the road, isn't it? And just see what it's like out there and get people onboarded onto this really cool tech. Keegan, you're doing some, you can riff on anything Maruga said, but you're also doing some technical work as I understand. Yeah, I'll get into that. I just wanted to like touch on a few things that Murga said. Um, like I personally miss talking with people face to face, and I'm a bit of an intro- introvert and recluse. Um, we share that. We share that. Yeah, that's not my like natural setting, and so like I need to force myself to uh, to go out and, and like see people. Um, mm-hmm. So if the cost of that is like I sound like a cult member and trying to bring people together to like uh, celebrate Bitcoin and like talk about how we can uh, proliferate, proliferate, you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, distribute this, this technology. I don't mind that if the, if the, if the reward or the gift for that is that um, I get to go and actually see people's faces after two and a half years of uh, isolation, more or less. Right. Don't lose your train of thought, but here's a caveat to that. Okay. Yep. Only if, (laughs) <laughs> we can we can read Alex Gladstein and what the early cypherpunks wanted and feel those chills. But as long as we are honest and, and willing to have discussions around the evolution of the technology, because one 100%. of the things that has disappointed me this year and in the past about, about Bitcoin maximalism is if you want to make a movement... One, in a weird way, like this is true of learning too, like at some, in some ways, people don't have to necessarily like you, 
but they have to enjoy speaking with you. So even if I'm speaking with someone on a podcast that I completely disagree with, I have to find a way to neutralize at least the intro to the podcast or we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And what I've seen in the past couple of years, and maybe this is a smaller population than I think it is, really alienating some really smart people. I mean, even Nick Carter had a moment where he was on the blacklist for no good reason, as far as I could tell. And he was really right. frustrated by the community. And he's an integral part of the community. So I think we have to be really thoughtful. If this is going to be something that's life-changing for a billion plus people or more, we have to be really thoughtful and hyper honest. So an example that we've been following for the last year, if we're just thinking about spot price, I know there's far more to the tech than spot price, but we have to detach from trading like the NASDAQ, right? Yeah. We're, n- we're not a tech stock. We're a technology solution. Right. So if we can't have thoughtful conversations about that, we just sound like zealots. Yeah. So, so one thing that people might not know about Bitcoin culture is that there is this aspect of tox- toxicity in it. And uh, Ragakshi and I, like one common thread everywhere around the world when we meet Bitcoiners is this is this toxicity, actually. And uh, we experience it in in, um, in a weird way because uh, our company, we, we have a company, it's called Atlantic Blockchain Company. Mm-hmm. And our podcast is Go Full Crypto. And so we hang out in Bitcoin communities because like that's where we're most aligned philosophically. And people nitpick you on your language. Man, nitpick is a uh, is yeah, a gentle. Exactly. Yeah. Like we were in a meetup and uh, we were being introduced like Keegan and Rugakshi from Atlantic Blockchain Company. And we hear a boo from the crowd. And, 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 and you've been all over the world trying to advance Bitcoin, the technology. Bitcoin, Bitcoin specifically. Yeah. This is a big problem. Yeah, it it is. Um, but yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, we've been our buddy Brad Mills calls us a Trojan horse, um, <laughs> because like our our company name and then our podcast name attracts people from like uh, the crypto and blockchain crowds, and then like some people like might not include myself included give Bitcoin uh, the credit that it deserves for what it is and how it does it. Um, right. Like it took me several years to take a, a, like a, several closer looks at it before I really understood why Bitcoin is put together the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not slow. It's lightning fast. It's not energy intensive. It's actually extremely efficient. Uh, like these misconceptions will will t- will um, cause people to go down crypto rabbit holes, down blockchain rabbit holes, and then have them miss a lot of like the richness of, uh, of Bitcoin. And, um, anyway, this is all just to say that like our podcast and, and company, uh, mm-hmm. um, are, are Trojan horses in, in some way. <laughs> and be- before we get back, I don't want to miss your, your, what you're building technically right now. Cause I know yeah. you're getting back into the technical space, but I do think it, um, it doesn't help advance the cause because even some really rational Bitcoiners, who say there will never be a solution where blockchain is relevant other than Bitcoin, or there will never be a crypto or tokenization solution that goes beyond Bitcoin. I think that will prove to be completely false, but I can still love Bitcoin as the core solution to independent custody of some of my wealth and my identity or whatever I, whatever I see my money as serving me. Yeah. In general, I don't like the word never. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. Any extremism in any movement, I think, is damaging to the overall movement itself. Yeah, 
yeah, I think uh, Murgakshi and I have strived to be a uh, a balancing voice in the space. Yeah, you have. So what are you, you're dabbling technically now. What's going on in your world? Yeah, so uh, I'm a programmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the last four years, I've been building uh, a content company uh, with, with Murgakshi, uh, a content and education company. So um, I still was tinkering with programming, but uh, I've not been doing it professionally. Uh, but I took a job with um, a company called Saz Mining, mm-hmm. um, com. And uh, I'm a senior full stack developer there. And what we're doing is making Bitcoin uh, mining as easy as setting up a Netflix subscription. Um, I love that. Say that yeah. again. We're making Bitcoin mining as easy as setting up, setting up a Netflix subscription. So uh, you can go on, buy a miner, um, and then you get Bitcoin deposited right to your address, uh, your Bitcoin address on a monthly basis. And uh, we're just in the middle of launching our first facility. So what's today? November 26th. Yeah, November 26th. Um, if you're listening to this in January, then our first facility is likely live and uh, people are mining Bitcoin through us. It's um, The SAS mining has a dedication to, uh, to using green and renewable energy as well. Um, a, because it is the cheapest form of energy that we can find and B, because uh, we have a, a mutual interest in seeing Bitcoin uh, be uh, as, as green as possible. And, How do you and, spell uh, SAS? S-A-Z. When I have a technical question, um, yeah. total nerd sidebar, when the spot price, and you tell me if this is, if this is incorrect, when the spot price of Bitcoin is below the energy cost to mine the coin, what do miners do? Or can that happen? I'm assuming it can happen. It can totally happen. And it is, so the, it's the average cost to mine Bitcoin, uh-huh. right? Because uh, like there's miners all over the world and uh, there's some miners that are mining Bitcoin for, essentially for free because they've got their miners hooked up to a hydroelectric dam and uh, like they've already bought the infrastructure or they've, you know what I mean? Like they're paying basically zero cents per kilowatt hour to run those miners. Right. And then there's other miners that are running on grid, like maybe in their garage, right? Yeah. yeah and then yeah. they're running at a loss for sure right now, right? Basically anywhere in the world because they're paying consumer rates. Consumer rates is is the uh, for for electricity is the higher end of ele- for electricity. Mm-hmm. Industrial Bitcoin miners go out and find the cheapest, long-term, most sustainable form of uh, of energy that they can find. And in general, those are the ones that um you know, Bitcoin could fall to 10K and they'd still be mining um, profitably. And if they're not, then, you know, you'll see the Bitcoin hash rate dip. You know, if if Bitcoin, if the price of Bitcoin falls sufficiently enough, you'll actually see the hash rate come down because eventually Bitcoin miners will have to turn off their, their machines. They just will. They'll have to wait until uh, they'll either run at a loss and subsidize the running of the rigs or they'll wait for the Bitcoin price to come back up so that they can mine profitably. But that's not what we're seeing right now. We're seeing we ju- we're hitting new all time highs in terms of, of uh, Bitcoin hash rate uh, like for the last few months consecutively. What does that mean? It means that the people who have bought rigs in the last year or two have also found uh, extremely cheap, probably efficient ways of, of mining Bitcoin. That's what that means. Otherwise, they're running at a loss, and that just doesn't make sense. And I love your value prop at SAS because 
if you're going to, like any frontier market, if you're going to incentivize people to get on board, you need to make it accessible to like mid-tier technical people. They can't all be as technical as you. I know there's that's more, what we do. There's more of you every single day, but the value prop's great because even non-technically or traditionally technical folk can start mining and thus amplifying the network. That's exactly right. Yeah, so we, we aggregate customer demand, right? So like we go out and find people that want to buy miners, but don't have the technical expertise or the facility uh, to set it up themselves. Then we just give them a, um, an easy way for them to buy a miner. And like you really own the, mi the miner on the shelf in the facility that we set up. Um, and uh, you pay a monthly su subscription fee mm -hmm. to, uh, for the electricity and the maintenance cost of the rig. And then um, uh, anywhere from 85 to 95% of the Bitcoin that that miner uh, mines is yours. So SAS mining takes the, the profit from the miner uh, anywhere from 5 to 15%. Um, yep. Everything else, we pass the cost directly onto you as the consumer. So like if we pay $2,500 per rig, you pay $2,500 per rig. Yep. If we pay seven and a half cents per kilowatt hour, you pay seven and a half cents per kilowatt hour. That's that's just how that works. Very cool. I'm excited to get started with that. Um, Nick Carter had a mic drop the other day. He was talking about how New York State has recently passed uh, legislation to the negative side, unfortunately, on mining Bitcoin. I don't know the specifics. People can look that up for themselves or listen to the Nick Carter podcast. It was I'll drop it in the show notes, but it was there. We're recording this on just after American Thanksgiving, and he recorded um, a podcast through Castle Island Ventures on this. And he said, um, essentially what that legislation is, and this was like kind of blew my hair back, is a moratorium on a specific use of energy that you have duly paid for. Yeah. Which is a total mic drop and we need people like Nick because we need people who can summarize like that or the way that we summarized what happened at FTX. Nick literally just summarized what that legislation is proposing. It's a ban on a specific use of energy that you have duly paid for. Yep. That's going to be hard for them to regulate long term, I think, because that's a pretty compelling argument against doing it. Right. Yeah. And it, it actually speaks to um, like regulating certain uses of money as well. Like you can't donate to this this political cause, or you can't donate to this protest, right? You can't use energy for this purpose. You can't use, and it's um, it just kind of speaks to the trend of um, our North American regulators right now of uh, constantly putting in more, um, like I'm just gonna say draconian and barbaric, um, practice or regulations or rules around what we can and cannot do with something that we own right like if i pay for my energy should i not be able to direct it where i want so so long as i'm not harming others like if i own my money should i not be able to uh direct it where i want to donate it to who i want to again so long that i am not harming others like isn't that it's, the fundamental principle here it's going to be awfully hard for the regulator going forward because as technology evolves and as private sector tech spaces, I only say private, meaning not connected to government, advance so dramatically as compared to government, the regulator will almost constantly be behind because as new uses of independent money or as new uses of independent energy come about, the regulation is just going to be a nightmare because you're going to have to keep trying to force people back into the system of your choosing, as you're alluding yeah. to. 
man, that's going to be tough as people get independent online. <laughs> that's going to be a nightmare. And they're just going to, it's 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 going to incentivize people to move elsewhere as well, right? Like yeah. Bitcoin mining is productive economic activity and Texas is soaking it up right now. Um, like our first facility at SAS Mining is going in Wisconsin. Awesome. There's probably a dozen places or more that we could have gone in New York. But mm, I guess New York is not going to be the recipient of that that productive economic activity, that productive use of energy. Right. Fine. You know what I mean? Like if they want to go that way, if they want to play the game, there's plenty of other places that we can go. No problem. Um, yeah, and as movement becomes more fluid, too, um, which it obviously is, how we move through the Internet is completely fluid. How we move through the world is becoming more fluid the barrier to entry will just be lower and lower and you'll see people even making their own national value prop, the attraction of that kind of behavior and that kind of technology. Yeah. Ruga, what's the story in, in China as well with respect to when the, the, the Bitcoin mining was, was banned, right? And now there's still like 20% of the miners are, are still there, but uh, we, so we that was not communicated that... properly. Yeah. So Bitcoin mining was banned in China for anyone using the government's electricity. And I know this because I spoke to a miner from China at one of the Bitcoin meetups that we hosted. He just actually come back from there after setting up his facility and he said he was profitable within a month. Um, like, you know, covered all of the costs, broke even and started becoming profitable. Uh, the caveat is that you can mine if you are using, um, if you're creating your own source of energy, meaning if you're using renewable sources, if you have um, like a hydroelectric power, if your supply is from hydroelectric power or if you have a solar farm or a wind farm, whatever, if like you can redirect that energy, but you can't be on the country's grid was basically the um, the issue so any bitcoin miners that were on china's the, the country's electricity grid had to move uh either into hydroelectric or any sort of renewable energy or out of the country that was the thing so there are still bitcoin miners in china uh, but they're using different sources of um, electricity and they're not on the government's grid right yeah gang i think we did the dang thing um <laughs> my list i did i did kind of want to go down a route of we kind of touched on it a little bit, but when we brought up FTT, the token, I did want to do a little riff on tokenization and how I think that actually, if you strip it down to its base level concept, is actually kind of a novel and promising idea for certain for certain components going forward. I know the Bitcoin maximalists will probably disagree with me, but that's quite all right. Anything else? I'll, ag- we, I'll agree with you. I, I think so. I mean, I, we don't have to go there right now, but if if all you can, if 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 the only thing we need to know about a non-fungible token is that it's a unique token that facilitates an action in the world or on the internet, there will inevitably be solutions where that is valuable. And because that's all it is, just strip it down to its base level technology. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, But I'll give final word to both of you. Anything we missed or any final word for the audience? I actually... um had to think about it a little bit when you asked the question of has this set Bitcoin back, um, you know, the thing that happened with FTX. And I have an answer for that. And Bitcoin doesn't care because so many times we talk about Bitcoin as this company or corporation that is producing this value or recruiting people, but it's not. It's 
a software that people are willingly running all over the world and has, as a consequence of that, created a community of people that believe in that software. So this hasn't set Bitcoin back simply because people are well still going. And that is because it still solves a problem. The same reason why people still buy gold, even if gold is not backing our money anymore, people still buy gold on the stock market or in India, just actual physical gold because it provides them with with value and it solves a problem, which is uh, got to save your money in something. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it sets Bitcoin back. If anything, um, like I hope that if there are regulations that say, oh, Bitcoin, yada, da, 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 we're going to ban it. I, I remember when Joe Rogan was uh, blasted on mainstream media talking about how he's spreading misinformation. He actually got, what, more than a million listens or subscribers or something two, after that? Two million. Two million, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, I guess no such thing as bad publicity. And I hope that if regulators are looking at taking away people's right to choose where they want to put their money because of um, stuff like FTX, then it increases people's awareness of, oh, why is, why, why, like, why Bitcoin? What is so bad about it? And I hope that it encourages them to go down the Bitcoin rabbit, rabbit hole to, to see whether or not it solved the problem. Can I, I, I take your point and I think it's well said, but can I devil's advocate for yeah, of course. the opposite side of the Bitcoin doesn't care trope? Yeah. My only issue with that, and I get it, I totally get it. And and at its core, it's true. The way and the way you say it, Ruga, is really well thought out. But software needs people. If what the cypherpunks wanted was a billion people being able to independently custody a percentage of their own wealth and transact without an intermediary that takes a cut or whatever they wanted, all of the different things that they wanted. Bitcoin can't just end up being like 10,000 maxis that just every time someone says anything about Bitcoin, they say Bitcoin doesn't care. Because what happens is the rest of those 990 million people, or whatever my math was, are just going to leave because it's not going to be a place they want to go. They're not going to run the software. They're not going to run a node. They're not going to mine. We have to make it, my opinion is, and, and maybe this is not well-founded and maybe I'm just being too neutral, but you still have to make a movement if we are going to accomplish what the cypherpunks wanted. And if we take the stance that Bitcoin's invincible and we don't care what anybody else does, we're still buying. I think maybe it just becomes this little niche thing that the diehards use and transact in and save in, and maybe that's fine, but I'd rather a billion people have that option as opposed to a small number of people who who don't want to make friends. And I'm not saying that's what you were doing. I would just say to people who think that way, try to get out of your own way and just Try to bring people on board. We, we want people, more people using the software. I don't think that we're ever going to get an accurate version of what the cypherpunks wanted simply because mm-hmm. they were in a different time. They were living in a different time. Their thoughts were based on different circumstances. And just like any piece of knowledge gets interpreted differently based on who propagates that knowledge, um, uh, yeah, it, it'll be very hard for us to accomplish exactly what they wanted, but I can say for sure that whatever we do end up accomplishing will have to be beneficial to the people that uh, want to see it come to life or want to see it live on. Yeah, yeah. Looks point, like point uh, we, we've got uh, about a minute and a half before uh, Matt's going to cut us off here, <laughs> but I wanted to like 
just uh, round off some thoughts here. Um, like I yeah, suppose my response to the, to what you two were just talking about would be that uh, we don't actually have to create the movement. Uh, the regulatory environment and the governments around the world, the the, the corrupt entities, they're actually going to create the movement for us. Uh, like this, when CBDCs, central bank digital currencies come in, um, that's going to create more demand for a, a privacy centric um, self-custody asset. Uh, so we, we actually don't need to do much because they're going to create their own problems, which will increase demand for the uh, the, the counterforce. And the counterforce in this uh, in this setting is, is Bitcoin. Um, and then Matt, like we're probably going to have to do another uh, full hour sometime talking exclusively about uh, NFTs and uh, and fractional ownership of things and tokenization. Yeah. Because uh, I've I've got a pile of thoughts there um, that uh, I probably can't get into in the next 45 seconds. So uh, I think I'll just yeah. leave it there. And um, you guys put that last little discussion so nicely. I, and I, like I want to continue. But Matt, you're going to have to invite us back to, to really hash this out. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that because um, my general thought ar around frontier markets is like, you know, um, we we overextend ourselves in the short term trying to be hyper creative and move incredibly fast, which creates fraud and things that don't actually solve a problem for real humans, which is what's happening now. Then there's an implosion, which we may have just seen, and maybe the implosion will be a net benefit. You You both think it will be for Bitcoin. I really hope that's true. And then throughout that implosion on the other side come solutions that are actually practical. So there's no more hype cycles. There's no more of these influencers. There's no more of these thread boys on Twitter. It's real world solutions for real people who are trying to navigate the world in, you know, in ever increasingly improved ways. And I've even just wallet technology. Once you move through the world with a wallet, you're like, this is remarkable. This is insane unto itself. So we do. We do have to do another one on on some of these concepts around around tokenization and making those tokens actually execute a function in the world that works, that solves a problem, and we just need to be thoughtful. We need to we need to bring back the middle. That's what I'm saying here. <laughs> to do both. I'm so tired of the extremism on both sides. We need to bring in the Agreed. middle thoughtful humans who can have conversations where they disagree and they Get, pull up a screen like we've pulled up today and you just kind of navigate through a chat and we just did that for an hour so it's it's what you it's what the three of us would do privately so it's pretty fun that we get to do it publicly and then hear from other people so if people want to message us dm us follow us and say what they agreed with and disagreed with we will all be better off for you having done that so thanks for being on the show and to all the listeners we'll we'll see you in the next few days with another one cheers Thank you for listening, friends. If we've earned it, give us five stars on Spotify. It helps us defeat the almighty algorithm. Head to our Substack of the same name if you want to go deep on the newsletter. We narrate them too, so you can get it all in your ears. The link is in the show notes. Follow on social if you're inclined. I only post what is authentic to me. I hope you do the same. The intro music is from Nick Carter and Grammatic, two of the most creative thinkers on the internet. See you next time.